We have dirty feet, and we have this need to wash feet. So if you're in that position as the one who washes feet, you are in probably a lower place positionally. Your authority is different in the home. Your power is different in the home. And the act itself at this time would be one that is incredibly humbling. This is, again, weird for us because cultures even today have big offenses with feet. There are certain cultures where like, don't put the sole of your foot towards somebody. You remember years back when somebody threw a shoe at a president? And we're kind of like, who throws a shoe, right? Like, like it's Austin Powers. Like, that's all we think of. Like, who throws a shoe? Uh, but no, like, like, but if you know the, the affront of a shoe and a foot, then you realize that what was done was far more insulting than throwing something at somebody. So we don't have that same kind of stigma with it. So that's, again, why it just feels different for us. But people in positions of honor do not wash feet. Do not wash feet. And yet, what does Jesus do? He washes feet. You'll see very quickly in this, and again, this is the first example of of cleansing, that there's a certain disciple, Peter, who is not happy with what's going on. Peter understands the, the cultural moment. Jesus is their instructor. He is their rabbi. He cares for them. He called them. He has instructed them for years. And so, as one in the position of honor, Peter understands there is no way you should be washing my feet. He's about to change his position, though, because Jesus tells him more of what has gone on. But just like Peter would do, he then over-applies what Jesus says. It's like, okay, well, wash all of me then. So Peter says, Lord, do you wash my feet? You're going, how, how could this happen? Listen to Jesus' response. What I'm doing, you don't understand now, but afterward, you will understand. After what? After what? After it's over? I mean, the disciples don't understand anything ever. So do they, is he going to just immediately after go, oh, now I get it. Now I understand what you're doing. Totally makes sense. Five minutes later, this is still the guy who doesn't think that he's going to deny Jesus. This is the guy who's about to chop somebody's ear off. This is the guy who runs and hides. Like, and so he's just going to get it, magically click and go, oh, yeah, I know what you're doing. Clearly, even in this interaction, he doesn't understand what's going on. I think this is after, after it all, death, burial, resurrection. Then you go, right, who's the guy at Pentecost speaking to the multitudes about what Jesus has done? It's Peter. But it takes a whole lot to go on over the course of the next 50 days for Peter to go, oh, oh, I get it now. And so, interestingly, you're going to start to see Jesus do things and say things that are pointing to what's about to happen, what's going to come. And so we're kind of in this in-between where he's instructing right toward the future. You're about to get it, Peter, but you don't get it now. Peter doesn't care. You will never wash my feet. Again, he understands the, the status. You will not do this. This is not your role. But Jesus gave a smart response. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. So Peter, again, bowed face. Never mind. Not just my feet, hands, head. Just get it all. Do every, every exposed piece of skin. Just wash. Because if, if I, I want to have a part of you. I want to have a part with you. And so if this is what it takes, it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable, but... Go ahead. Go ahead. This is where Jesus 
instructs in that little Peter pivot about cleansing. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed, you're going to hear this and go, I don't even, what the heck? The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. I thought his feet were clean. But is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that's why he said not all of you are clean. Okay, thanks. So I, can, I think I get verse 11. Who's going to betray him, right? Judas. Judas Iscariot. Like he has a specific role. We're going to get to know Judas more next week when he and Jesus have a little conversation where he just dead-eyes him and goes, what you're going to do, do quickly. And Judas rolls off. And what do the disciples do? Go, I guess he's buying food. I mean, seriously what they do. I guess he's buying food. I don't, I don't know why he's leaving, but, but okay. So Jesus is instructing that somebody is going to betray him. And they're still going, I mean, I don't know who, I don't know who it is. Doesn't make it, you know, but they're like, Judas has the money and he's leaving. I guess it's, I guess, I guess he's getting ready for, I would say, the next feast. He's just moving along. So 11 kind of makes sense. Not all of you were clean because Judas is there. But 10 is kind of awkward, isn't it? The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. Now he's speaking to Peter about being clean. This sounds, this sounds interesting to me. So you're, you're bathed, but you need to wash your feet still. You're completely clean. So he's saying, I'm not going to wash your whole body, Peter, because you're clean. I'm just going to wash your feet. Well, what, does that, what does that teach? What is that helping us understand? Because... It's interesting that Jesus would say that, and I just read it and go, okay, well, what's the application? And like bathe and then wash my feet again? Like, is that, is that what I'm supposed to do? Or, you know, get my kids out of the tub and go, now everybody, we're going to do the second washing of the feet. Like, like, what do you do with that? I think historically, the application or the idea here is this, is that Jesus fully cleanses you. And this would be of your sins. The one who has washed doesn't need to be washed again. The one who's washed, the one who's bathed, doesn't need to be washed again. That Jesus offers for us full and total cleansing. Our hearts are new. Sins are gone. We are in that right relationship with the Father because of the work of Jesus. But what's with the feet washing? Why do you still need to wash your feet if you're already cleansed? And this is where they would, they would say like this. And I would agree. John, I think, is consistent even in his epistles with this. Is that that idea of just washing your feet is that as you go through life, you sin. You pick up dirt. And you regularly go to the Lord and confess that. You confess what has been going on in your heart and in your life. Not so that positionally you are made right with God again. Right? Like we, don't, we don't believe that you lose your salvation every time you sin and you just better be sure you've asked God to forgive you enough time so that when you die, you're totally clean. That's not what we're talking about. It's just those, those relational, everyday moments that we go through that cause strain in our relationship with God. And Christ offers forgiveness even for those. So there is the once and for all cleansing that comes because we walk with the Lord. We are His. His Spirit is in us. And there is the regular confession of sin to continue to walk rightly. Look at how John might say this in his epistle, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. He says this, if we confess our sins, he's speaking to a church, right? So this is now after the ascension, after the sending of the Spirit, John is speaking to a church, and he's talking to them about confession. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and, where's that look at that word? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He's saying this to a church. You go, wait a minute, you guys are already with the Lord. Why do you, like, like, we can always kind of get in our head about it. But to go, the disciple has, should have a regular pattern of confessing. Going to the Lord and letting him do the work that only he can do. I can't. I can't cleanse my heart of sin. I can't, I can't do enough good. And have you ever felt that way though? Like if, you, if you're, if you're kind of in this habit or this rut of sin that you just have to start to like maybe just do more good things so that, so that as a way of kind of making up for the bad things that you've done. I mean, at the end of the day, we, we really can get that way. We're just still just weights on a scale. It's kind of good deeds and bad deeds. And if I just have a good day where I do enough good, then I'll feel better about myself. I bet that happens even in your life if you're not careful. You go, I mean, I, I, it was a good day. Like, I got to help this person. I prayed for this person. This person called me, and I answered it, and I gave some good advice. And, like, I just feel like I was useful today. You probably feel better from whatever sin you did when you yelled at your kid and told him he was terrible. Because you've had, like, three or five other good things that you've done that day, and so you're feeling good about it. Only Jesus can actually cleanse us in that relational way to continue to make us right. And so I think what he's doing in this first part where Peter's going, no, 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 like clean, clean my whole body. He goes, I don't have to do that. You get cleansed in the Lord, you get made right once. Positionally, you are made right. But as you go about your business, as you go through your day, what happens? You imperfectly live this life in the Lord and you go back to him. And you say, forgive me for this, forgive me for this, forgive me for this. And what does John teach us? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us. Now, that's hard for me. That's why, that's why I'm glad that Jesus does this and not me, because I am kind of a grudge holder. Well, if you're going to ask me for forgiveness, I'm going to hold it against you for a little while. I'm going to need you to do some things for me so that we can make this thing even. And Jesus is not in that same way, that restitution maker, because he provides something that we could never provide ourselves. So he can't provide enough hoops. We'll do this, do this, do this. So I think theologically there's a really important point when it comes to how we walk with the Lord. We are made right once, but as we walk, we do continue to confess. And that's not like, I don't ask you to make a list of every sin you know you have committed because you're going to miss about 3,000 that you forgot. But it's that regular life with the Lord that you need. And here's the thing. Jesus still, in this object lesson that he is giving, he is still, even today, will stoop and wash your feet and cleanse you from that sin. He still does it. He doesn't go, oh no, we're good now. Like he still positionally cleanses you, makes you right, forgives you. And so you, you look at what John writes in, in 12, or so there in 13, and then you look at his epistle that comes after ascension, after, writing, writing to a church, and you can see how maybe even that interaction around the table has affected how he talks to churches about what Jesus does for us. He's faithful and just. He'll even say there earlier in 1 John chapter 1, if you, if, you don't, if you say you have no sin, you're just a big fat liar. That's what you are. You don't have no sin. You don't, that, that person does not exist. And so you confess it. 
Because if you say, I'm, I don't sin anymore, you're lying. You're lying. And so he has, I think, what would be called a healthy anthropology. Not the clothing store, it's spelled differently. Healthy anthropology, he understands people. Understands their hearts. And can help them understand how to walk with the Lord. So we have this idea that Jesus cleanses us. And I need us to hold on to that. Because we're going to need it every moment of every day, really. I've shared before, I have this, this moment uh, that I try to do every day, really, where I just confess whatever sins I remember. I just go, yeah, this one, Lord, and this one, Lord, and this one, Lord. The list isn't very long because I'm pretty forgetful. And I just go, I've sinned way more than I remember, praise the Lord, uh, that I only remember a few because I'd probably be just like paralyzed otherwise. But man, I'm just, I'm just terrible all the time. So I confess what I remember and I keep walking. Like, I just, I just keep walking. Why? Because I've been made right. And I want to give you that encouragement today. You might feel shackled by some sin. You might feel caught in some area. Just go, man, I just, I don't know what to do with this. Confess it and keep moving. Now, at times when we confess sin or we have a pattern of sin, there might be habits or ways that we need to adjust or move or people we need to talk to, new relationships we need to do. I was meeting with a pastor buddy even earlier this week, and he was telling me ways that he's trying to change some of his habits so that he can be a healthier person. And he just, so he was kind of listing those out for me. I'm doing this, I'm doing this. It takes sometimes multiple people to help us stay straight. You know that. If anybody's ever dealt with something going, I just need help. I need help. The Christian life is not easily lived alone is it and so you need people but still the people can't provide what Jesus can provide which is the forgiveness right they can provide the help I want to help you with this I want to pray for you I want to talk with you I want to encourage you but they can't provide the forgiveness not at least against what it does against a holy God they can provide the forgiveness when you sin against me and I go yeah I forgive you of course I forgive you but I can't provide what it does with you and the Lord I want to help you walk with him And that's what John does. That's what it seems like the rest of his life and ministry was, was helping people walk with the Lord. He even says, I have no greater joy than when I see my children walking in the faith. Like that's that's how he talks about disciples. I love to see people walking with the Lord. So that's thing number one, the cleansing that Jesus gives. He gives it once and for all through his death, burial, and resurrection. If you have confessed Jesus, you belong to him. And ongoing in the sense that as we confess, he provides. Now, the second thing that Jesus demonstrates, the way he demonstrates love, is then through this act of service. This is probably the idea that we're more familiar with when we talk about washing feet. He finishes the act itself, and then he gives some instruction. And we see that Jesus demonstrates his love through Service. And you could say sacrificial service, humiliating service, humble service. You could put any adjective or you want in there to make it more serious. But the fact that Jesus does it is serious enough. So we're going to look at that. Verse 12. He'd washed their feet, put on outer garments, resumed his place. He said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? I mean, the answer is no. <laughs> I don't know. I don't understand. Like, clearly they don't understand what he has done. He's washed all the disciples' feet. You know who's in that group of disciples? Judas. Judas is in that group too, demonstrating this. Even though Judas is about to go get out of town and betray him. Do you know what I've done for you? Because they're not going to know, he's going to go ahead and fill it in. You call me teacher and Lord. Those are places of honor. And you're right. I am. So here's the pivot. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. If I've done this for you, then you should do this for one another. 
For I've given you an, what's that word? An example. I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, verily, verily unto you, however that your translation reads it, I seriously say, I'm not going to lie to you, a servant is not greater than his master. The disciple is not greater than Jesus. Nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So there's an example of service. Now the first thing that I want to, to say, and there might be even disagreement in the room here, um, is does this mean that we should have foot washing services where I'll sit here or you'll sit here or somebody and we go through and wash feet and like we do that. Some churches have done that. Some churches would make foot washing like a sacrament almost. Like it's something that you're supposed to do. And maybe you in this room have had your feet washed by somebody. I have. I've washed people's feet. I've had feet washed. I was in a wedding party where my friend and his wife is like their first marriage act. We all wore sandals instead of shoes. That was like the bridesmaids and groomsmen's gift. And they had a rag and they washed all our feet. But our feet were already pretty clean because we'd all bathed that day. So they kind of come through and we sit down and they, put, and they each take a rag and they wash our feet. And it's kind of cool. I mean, it's kind of a meaningful moment to you know, have, have that happen. But does that mean that, that if we're not sitting around washing people's feet, are we betraying the heart of what Jesus said? My answer to that is no. I don't think that if we're, if we're not washing people's feet, that we're disobeying the command. There is a passage in Timothy where they speak of widows who wash the feet of the saints. That's another reference to it. But there's really no historical ongoing reference, especially early on, of like this regular habit of foot washing, this regular habit of, of, of disciples washing one another's feet. Is that to say, if you really feel burdened after this to wash your friend's feet, that I tell, I'm not going to tell you no, but I think the example, I have given you an example where the one in authority does the act of somebody who has no authority, where the one who is in charge takes the lowest place. If I do this for you, you should, you should do this for one another. And so this is where I think the example that Jesus gives us is the highest ranking person taking the lowest place. It's an example that he gives. You've seen what I've done for you. And so from that, he pulls an expectation because Jesus never calls us into something he hasn't done himself. And so he gives us an expectation that you should do the same. You should do this for one another. Well, what should we do? What should we do? I would say, I don't know. I don't know. But what is that space where maybe the act or the example does feel below you? Maybe just positionally go, I don't do that. I don't clean toilets. I don't clean toilets. Well, then go to your friend's house and clean their toilet. Like, like do that. Yeah, but their kid's pee all over it. Exactly. Exactly. Right? You, I'll let you wear gloves. Right? Like, you don't have to, you don't have to be extra crazy. Like, you can wear gloves. Um, right? You go, well, I, we don't do that. Like, we, we hire people to do that. Or we, every, every so often, like, we have our kids do that. That's the point. Right? You have your kids do the stuff you don't want to do. You do that. Do this thing. Take this out. Take the garbage out. Pick that up. Right? Like, if your house gets toilet papered, which, is that still a thing? I don't know. I'm worried about that flack house, uh, like just a little bit with some of the things I've learned about friends. Um, yeah, I'm praying for you guys. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, you go, oh, well, we're going to get the kids to do that. Maybe, maybe the example is, no, we do that. We do that. That it's not below. Now, I do think, and this is the hard part. This is the hard part for us. I think we are in a bit of a culture that doesn't, is, we're pretty flat organizationally, meaning that we really just kind of, doesn't matter if you're a Christian or a non-Christian, we kind of drum up the idea of servant leadership, where regardless of your position, you serve, you do it, you get out there and you do that work, you get out there and you, uh, you dig the ditch, you put in the time, you put in the energy. And so in a culture that really does, I think, at times uh, drink from that well of servant leadership, what then is the Christian's role? Because our stooping, our activity might look similar to another's. It really might. It might look similar to another's. I mean, we've all seen Undercover Boss, right? You know, where the boss shows up and makes sandwiches somewhere. And, uh, you know, the other employees are ragging the CEO. And you're like, oh, gosh, I'm going to lose my job, right? Like, whatever happens there, we've, we've seen these things where it's cool, cool to see the power swap. And so it's difficult for us to go, what do I do? How do I do this? And so my encouragement would be really to find those spaces because I think the difference between the, the believer and the unbeliever is duration. I, meaning, because of the spirit that is within us, we do not tire of stooping. And, and what should be non-manipulation. Because there are times when people do things for us in hopes that we then do them as well. The Christian should be able to act and serve humbly and even humiliatingly and not do it in hopes that others will then do the same thing. Like an I scratch your back, you scratch mine kind of thing. So I do this for you, you do this for me. That is not the way of Jesus. That is not how the disciple acts. So if we were going to maybe talk about some specific differences, I do think one is the Spirit is in us. The Spirit wants us, guides us in living and reflecting Jesus, then there is the ability to sustain humbling behavior. But then secondly, it is that it's not for the benefit of us. I do this so that you do that. I've shared this before. My buddy Peter taught me this lesson a long time ago, and it still rings true. I'll share it a lot because it's something you can always pray for for me. But I remember sitting. So at our house in Baton Rouge, we had this, uh, this mother-in-law suite that my friend Peter lived in, not my mother-in-law. But she could have. She wanted it. Um, but Peter lived there. And I remember going over. We kind of had an open-door policy. It's our thing. So, hey, you just come in whenever you want to our house. We'll come into your house whenever. Like, no big deal. And so we're weird. I know. Like, so... We just kind of left the doors unlocked, and you just come in when you want. So sometimes I'd be like at the counter at 10 o'clock, back door opens, and Peter strums in because he wanted to have a conversation. Come on, man. So I was sitting at his table one time, and I was talking about how frustrated I was that I was, you know, doing all these things in marriage, and I just didn't feel like there was any reciprocation. And he gave me none of it. He was not letting me have it. Uh, he, He was like... No, no, no. You never serve somebody so that they'll serve you. You never care for somebody so that they'll care for you. If, in fact, that is your motivation for serving in the first place, you're not serving. Right? Like, you're just trying to put money in the bank that you can draw from later. 
That's not service. That's the difference between, like, imagine if, if Jesus had a bone to pick, he could pick it, like, like where he'd just go, hey, ain't none of y'all doing anything that I said, I mean, if you were just here today, right? If he really were like a human, like, like, like we are, fallen and frail, he could come at us for all the ways. We're like, oh yeah, I'll do that, and then never do it. But his grace does not run out. His care does not end, nor does his service. It wasn't as if, and this is what we have to remember, it wasn't as if Jesus did all these things for us in time and space and then ascended to the right hand of the Father and is now just kind of waiting around, right? He is still active. He is still our high priest. He is still the one who is ministering on our behalf. He is still the one who forgives us when we say, Lord, will you forgive me? He is still the one whose words that we read and whose spirit is active as we engage even in this moment. And so it wasn't like he pressed play for three years and had this really serious moment of ministry and then it was all over he still does these things and so when we think about these people in our own life where we go yeah but you've been rude to me you looked at me funny at church yesterday I don't fully agree with your theology so why would I serve you get these three positions right and then I think we can be in fellowship together because what does he say you, disciples, should do this for one another. This is first and foremost the way that we care for each other. It's not just the way that we care for outsiders. I mean, this really is, you, disciples, do this for one another. I gave you this example, you should do it. Because it should start here. It should be in existence in our church family. But you've committed ugly sins. So why would I mow his lawn? He's not responsible with money, so why would I buy the family groceries? I don't know. I mean, if you want to kind of make it like that, I'm sure you could find reasons to not serve me, or I could find reasons to not serve you, if it's just based upon some standard of righteousness that we have ascended to, of course, because we're only going to serve people who have kind of ascended to our level. You just joined the church three months ago, so why should we serve you? We have to really be sure you're going to stick around, and then we're going to be more serious about our care for you. But this is me time. I spend it by myself and you're asking me to help you move at an inconvenient time. How come everybody has to have, have to move at an inconvenient time for me? Right? I was like, hey, I'm moving. Like, we're going to get together. I'm like, how come we can't get together at 11 p.m.? Right? Like, I'm up at 11. Let's do it at 11. How come it has to be like Saturday at 8? You know? I'm kidding. Like, never ask Hans to move again. Yeah, I get it. All the reasons that we say yes, no, yes, no, like, those are really selfish. And they don't reflect the humbling or humiliating posture that Jesus had toward us. Toward us. This sometimes happens when churches ask for, like, help. Everyone's going, what's he talking about? Probably everything and nothing all at the same time. Hey, we need help in this area. We need, you know, we, we need people to be engaged in this area. And I'm, I'm, I know, I'm a big, unlike, I'm a big boundary guy for you and for me. I don't want you to take on everything. I get that because that does exhaust. I'm a big boundary guy. But then there's sometimes where don't we just kind of say, I just don't want to do it. Just not interested. That's not my gifting. I'm like, well, I don't know what is your gifting then. Like, like 
Like, 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 what's your gifting? Well, I only want to do things I'm really gifted in. I'm like, well, could, what, what, what does the test say? Because I don't know, right? Like, like we just need help. Right? I, I don't know what gifting you need. Right? I need help. Uh, so we go, oh, you know, I only want to help in these areas. Okay, would you do that then? Right? Like, we have kind of these ways where we go, well, I'm not going to go over here and help in that way. I'm not going to go over here and help in that way. I'm not going to go over here and help in that way. And I'm like, is this in any way reflecting the heart of Jesus who washed the disciples' feet? Who was with, I mean, can you imagine? I just think about this. He's been with these guys for three years. And at year three, he is saying to them, you're not going to get why I'm doing this. At year three, he still just recognizes their gross incompetence to have any comprehension of the significance of this moment. And yet, what does he do? Wash their feet. Serve them. Teach them. Guide them, remind them, encourage them, which goes back to 13.1. Love them. He loves them to the end. Not because of what they've done. Not because of what they've earned. Not because he just thinks it would be cool to teach them a lesson. But because it is his heart for his people. That's what we get to remember. And thus the example the example that we see, and we go, how does this help us as a church? It's this. You could say, disciples take the lowest place. I think the sermon title officially is Disciples Stoop. Right? We, should have, we should have sore backs because we care for people. We're interested in their well-being. We make time for them. We do the things for them that other people would not do we do the things for them that we go i mean it is like the line that might get crossed is like when you go you shouldn't do that right you shouldn't do that i can tell you here's an awkward moment is being at my friend's house in south america and having people iron my underwear never had my iron underwear before or like uh, underwear ironed before that's that's quite a moment when you get pressed underwear handed to you by somebody like i don't really this is not this is a little uncomfortable. So we're taking uh, volunteers for the iron, uh, ironing underwear ministry. And we're going to start it right after this. And you just, we're going to give you the address of all the church members. And you're going to show up and go, hey, I'm here to iron your underwear. Hans said this is something that we're supposed to do. Uh, so, you know, just point me to your underwear drawer. Like, that's not, like, it's all, we laugh awkwardly even thinking about it. Because we just go, I'm not sure that's, right? We get, just like Peter, like, no way. And they're like, no, 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 this is really what disciples do. And then you're like, well, then go through every drawer, right? I mean, we do the exact same thing. Or like, if this is really what disciples are supposed to do, then okay. Disciples take the lowest place. And I'll say this first, from that first portion, in the confession of their sins. Because if we don't keep recognizing the ways in which we fail it will start to make us feel as if we don't. And if we feel as if we don't fail, then we will not serve. We will only expect to be served. And just be too bummed out that other people can't ascend to our level of maturity. If only they were better, they could have people serving them too. So in the confession of our sins, the regular, habitual, pattern of bringing our sins before the Lord. 
keeps us really in a position of humility. That's why Jesus speaks about specks and logs. And says, why are you so worried about their speck when you have a log sticking out of your eye? Take care of this thing first. Then you can help your friend. So in the confession of our own sins, recognizing our need for cleansing, that ongoing pattern. Because we really, hear hear me here, we have to remind ourselves that the Lord does it for us. And that's actually the motivation to be able to do it for others. That Jesus, whose very word holds this universe together, when we come calling, he answers. When we ask for forgiveness, he brings it. When we're hurting, he is present. And he doesn't say, hey, I have a sunset over here I have to go take care of. I'm a little busy. I have other people who do that. I have other people who will meet you in your needs. He's there. The God of the universe is present in our sin to forgive us. He serves us in that to forgive us. And thus, going to that second part, the example. In our service of others. In our service of others, we should follow the example of Jesus. We can't forgive their sins, but we can serve them sacrificially, humbly, in ways that are uncomfortable for us. I would just encourage you, even as a family or at home or with a friend or in your community group later this week, to just brainstorm this. What can I do for others? What should I do for others? Then ask the question, why haven't I? That question often reveals something in us. I haven't had enough time. You can make it, right? Like, I just haven't felt like I've wanted to. I wasn't sure if it was the right thing, right? I thought they might be uncomfortable by it. That's kind of the point, right? Like, like it, it is weird. It is weird to serve people. It, it, like, it's weird to be served in ways that you go, no, 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 don't do that. Now, there's some people at this church who just, I, I really, I can't even call them out because, because that kind of defeats the purpose, but they're really good at this. They give hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of their time to others. Almost to the point where you're like, what's in it for you? You ever, you ever had like, like, why do you keep doing this? What are you trying to get out of me? What do you want? And when that answer turns around, it's like, honestly, nothing. It is my joy. That is one of the most disorienting things to hear because you're like, you enjoy that? Like, you actually enjoy this? This is no big deal to you? This is fine? Like, like I'm not indebted to you? Nope. It's so uncomfortable. So what prevents me And then I would ask this third question. With whom can I or maybe we start? Where could we serve? Where could we engage? Where could we care? Ever since that fateful day in my seminar on leadership, where we're all ministry leaders ready to just take the world by storm, when asked what should mark us, I only have one answer now. 
should mark us is Jesus. The example he gave and how he served us, and thus the example that we should follow in how we serve one another. He provides what we need. He expects us to do the same. You hear that language in the passage, don't you? If I do this for you, then you should do it for others. He doesn't hide the expectation. If I do this for you, you should do this for others. Do you understand what I'm telling you? Like a good teacher. Like, Do we understand the point here? Everybody with me? Do you understand where this is headed? Do you know what I need from you? <laughs> I need you to do this. In a couple of weeks, he's going to say, I give you a new command, love one another just as I have loved you. You're also to love one another, right? By this, everyone will know you're my disciples. And so he's going to continue on in this thread throughout. He gives us a gracious exhortation, and he expects us to operate as he does. 